Welcome to the Ad Astra podcast. Today we'll be talking with Michael Noble. Welcome. Um, Michael is um, a postdoctoral research at the Ludwig Maximilians University in Mission. Um, he's on the project Heirs of Avicenna, Philosophy and the Islamic East from the 12th to the 13th century, which is a DFG funded project. Um, uh, he did also did his PhD at the Warburg Institute. With, uh, at the same time as I did, so we are colleagues. <laughs> and he has recently uh, published uh, a monograph, which is the result of the PhD research, called uh, this, um, how it is it? Philosophizing the Occult at the Senate Psychology and the Hidden Secret of Fakr al-Din al-Rasi, if I pronounce that correctly. That's right. I think Michael could do it. What is the name of your um, subject, the, the person? Because it's difficult for us to pronounce. So the the author of the text, well, firstly, thank you for, for having me here. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, the, uh, the name of the um, author of the work that is the focus of my monograph is Fakr al-Din al-Rasi, who okay. is a... Uh, Persian theologian uh, born in 1149 and he dies in 1210. Okay, mm -hmm. how did you uh, begin, um, became interested in these areas of research? Well, I was, um, I was I'm interested in uh, the interaction of the Islamic world with, uh, with non-Muslim cultures um, uh, and intellectual transmission um, to and from the Islamic world and, and uh, non-Muslim cultures. And I was specifically interested, well, I was uh, interested more in kind of intellectual transmission and uh, the uh, meeting point of cosmology and psychology, which is why I became increasingly interested in matters uh, that were esoteric and occult. Um, when I joined the Warburg Institute, as I was um, exploring uh, a topic of research, uh, I was int introduced to this area, um, and I began I began attending the Arabic philosophical uh, reading class, which has been going on for more than more than twenty years, I think, uh, uh, convened by Charles Burnett, and that's what really, um, uh, I guess. Um, um, sharpened my my focus as to as to what I was really interested in, and it was through Charles uh, Charles Burnett that I was introduced to two unstudied texts um, by uh, two twelfth stroke thirteenth century figures living in the Islamic East. When I mean when I say the Islamic East, I mean I mean the the, the Persian world. Uh, as it extends towards India. Um, and those two figures were Fakhruddin al-Razi, um, a philosopher theologian who dies in 1210, and another guy called Siraj al-Din al-Sakaki, um, who dies in 1229. So Charles introduced me to um, 
Rosie's work called Asir al-Maktoum, The Hidden Secrets, which is a work on astral magic. And he also introduced me to a work called Kitab uh, al-Shamil by Sirajuddin al-Sakaki, um, which is a, uh, a compendium of different uh, magical practices. And the intention was to uh, look at the at these two figures and their two um, occult works and to uh, contextualize them and see how they're linked. Now, I was more interested, the more I uh, read these works in the theory behind um, talismanic magic. Now, because Sakerki's work was uh, more of a pure compendium than anything else with um, little theory per se, um, I decided to focus on Fakhruddin al-Razi, who was one of the most eminent uh, theologians of his time. In fact, he was known as the uh, renewer of the faith in the Islamic intellectual tradition. There's, there's this idea that with every, with every century, there is a, a figure who renews the faith, and Razi is 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 recognized wide was recognized widely as being the renewer of the faith of the 12th century um now uh he he emerged in a particular context um he uh was a theologian of the Esh, what's called the Esh'ari school a school of rational and theology which used um logic and discursive reasoning to defend the verities of of the faith and his main or the main threat or perceived threat to uh, this school of theology was the falsefa or philosophy of Avicenna who died in 1037 and um, Razi spent most of his career engaging with the works of Avicenna critiquing it um, uh, criticizing his arguments uh, adopting some, uh, refining some, and subordinating others to the imperatives of what he believed were um, verities of the faith which could admit of no compromise. So what's interesting, and he was, he was one of the most prolific of all writers in Islamic intellectual history, uh, <laughs> what's interesting is that he wrote this work on talismanic magic um very early on in his career so no 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 kind of around about the time of 1179 uh, 1180 so he must have been around about kind of 30 years old when he wrote it um and it's uh includes uh very lengthy descriptions of how talismans are made um and um from 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 various sources, but what's what in, attracted my interest was that he himself used Avicennan uh, cosmology and psychology in order to construct a scientific theory as to how um, talismanic magic actually works. So for Razi, it was a reality. It was neither um, mere delusion on the part of its practitioners, um, and nor did it represent for him um, manipulation by lower spirits, the jinn of, of, of a sublunary world. Um, it was a science which um, 
was was rooted in empirical observation, uh, data accumulated over generations, stretching back eons. Um, it was based on analogical reasoning and also uh, personal revelation. Um, so I became interested in well, why why would he be interested in in constructing such a such a scientific theory? Now, when when scholars look at um, Islamic occult texts or esoteric texts, uh, often they pose the question, well, is the author pro-occultist or is he uh, anti-occultist? Which is, a, a, it's a useful question to pose. Um, but with Razi, um, it's clear that you need to pose, to pose a further question, uh, which is this. Well, if he's interested in, in, in this um, uh, science, but he's not, an occultist himself, which and, and I believe that's that's the case. He didn't he didn't advocate this uh, the practice of this science actively. Um, why would he be interested in it at all? Mm. Um, and as I argue in my monograph, um, for him it was a real science that demanded a scientific account. And uh, since it was it it, it it mapped onto reality, how could it be accounted for in such a way? that it could be um, brought into harmony with his overarching theology. So it demanded uh, an explanation and one which merely didn't marginalize it and dismiss it as being pure fantasy or the manipulation of lower spirits. Um, he demanded an account that was scientific, but which could nevertheless be harmonized with the overarching principles of, of his theology. Now for him, as I argue in, in the monograph, it was his engagement with uh, this science was uh, played a crucial role in his uh, formulation of his late prophetology. So he's an Islamic theologian, right? Um, part of an Islamic theologian's job is to um, bring, is, is to uh, was, is, is to bring into um, um, or is to provide a rational basis for the whole doctrine of, of prophethood, right? right? Uh, but in such a way that is not threatened by naturalizing theories. Mm -hmm. So Avicenna had a scientific account of, of, of how prophethood works. And it was a naturalizing account in such a way that it didn't um, rely on, or it provided an account for prophethood that in the eyes of a theologian undermined um, the notion of direct revelation. Now, Razi critiqued Avicenna's theory of, of, uh, of prophethood um, and Attempted to, um, attempted to, um, preserve its, its the, the exclusivity of prophethood, whilst at the same time providing the rational basis for the soteriology of an intellectual elite. Mm. Right. Um, so now that sounds all incredibly abstract. So getting <laughs> the details of. Um, <laughs> of talismans and astrology. So why, why, why are talismans and astrology, why are they important? Mm -hmm. um, 
and why they or what relevance do they have for prophetology and soteriology okay so Razi um, defines uh, the talisman in in the following way he says talisman is a process it's a process whereby active heavenly forces are blended with passive earthly elements by means of active earthly forces to bring about events which run contrary to the empirical norm okay so what does that actually mean active active heavenly forces are the forces of the planets as they revolve in the heavens uh, their geometrical um, configurations um, have an influence on generation and corruption in the sublunary world. So planetary motion um, affects events here in the world. What are earthly forces? Well, in all for for practical um, considerations, an an earth uh, an earthly force is essentially a metal idol or a or a metal ring. Uh, into this metal idol, the power of the practitioner's soul, uh, by establishing a noetic connection with a particular planet or planets, can draw down their influence and spirits into a talisman and thereby uh, bring about an event which runs contrary to, uh, to habit or to the, empiric, uh, to the mm -hmm. empirical form in Arabic, Ada. Right, so here we have the bringing together of cosmology and psychology into a science. So knowledge of astrology uh, is important for uh, to have knowledge of when is the appropriate time to cast uh, this, this talismanic idol, uh, but also knowledge of psychology, the balances of the soul, how to discipline the soul in order to bring about sharp, uh, one fixed meditative focus on a particular planet that's also necessary in order to explain how these powers can be drawn down into a talisman in order to bring out the desired effect. So what's the point of all of this? So in, in his introduction to Asil Maktoum, he says this science is uh, necessary, well not necessary, he, he says it's, um, it represents the ability of the human soul to uh, transcend its corporeal reality uh, and to uh, act in ways in this world which are superior, which are spiritual, uh, namely using uh, the, the, the spiritual realm of the celestial spheres to act here on, on, on the earth. And it represents the, the perfection of human knowledge. And that's how he, rep that's how he uh, presents this, uh, this science. Um, and interestingly, and here's where my interest in interaction with, uh, with non-Muslim cultures uh, comes into play, um, he brings in um, the science, the, the Indian sciences of the soul in order to account for how the soul can attain that meditative focus uh, on a particular planet to bring down the influences into a, into a talisman. Mm -hmm. Um, now, broadly speaking, so, so what, what are the resources? What is he relying on, right? He uses, um, he uses a, a number of uh, occult works. Uh, for instance, the, uh, he relies on Ibn Wahshiya, uh, and uh, a much earlier um, uh, author writing on Islamic occultism, 
uh, he relies on this what's called the Syria Aristotelian Hermetica. He relies on uh, possibly the Kitab al um, um and he, but he attributes this uh, science to a group called the Sabia um, about or the, the the Sabians now. Um, they were a historical group that represented the last vestiges of um, astrolatry uh, in Mesopotamia. Um, and they, a group of them survived Christianization in Harran. Um, in, Christianization is great. <laughs> um, on, the, on the border between, um, near, the border, uh, near the Syrian border on the, on the, on the Turkish side. Um, and a, a group of this community became very prominent in the Greco-Arabic translation movement under the Abbasids. Mm -hmm. um, so the Abbasids come to power in 750. Um, quite soon after that, the, 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 the Abbasids um, uh, set up the, the House of Wisdom. They're interested in, um, in uh, the sciences of the Greeks, and it was, Syriac-speaking Christians as well as Sabians, who were the guys who translated um, Aristotle and what have you into um, into Arabic. Now, uh, a prominent member of the Thabit ibn Qurra, who uh, Charles Burnett has, has done a lot of uh, work on, is, is known primarily as, as a mathematician and an astronomer. Um, he was also a Sabian and a practicing Sabian. And they received protected status uh, in, in Islamic law under the Abbasids, Vimmi status. So people of the book, Jews, Christians, and Sabians were given uh, uh, um, special protected status um, to uh, practice their religion, uh, uh, governing themselves by their own uh, religious laws. And the Sabians were extended this same um, status um, mainly because, uh, it has been argued, uh, a lot of them were prominent scholars and the Abbasids were hungry for scholarship. Mm. Um, now, some of the texts that were transmitted were by, by, by Thurbit, attributed to Thurbit were books on, on talismans. And, uh, and Thurbit, again, is another figure that features prominently in, 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 in Razi's work. So I've just described to you his, his uh, description of, uh, of talismans as a process, the process whereby the human soul blends um, uh, celestial forces in, in, into a, a metal idol uh, or, a, or a metal ring. But it also, it also have a, had a very specific reference to um, the, the metal object into which these celestial forces were blended. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, I guess I, sh I should back up uh, just a bit. So the, the, the Sabians, by the time uh, Razi is writing, um, whilst retaining uh, reference to um, the specific Sabian group of astrologers originating in Haran, as a category, they became expanded to referring to any uh, culture, any learned pagan culture that was steeped in astrology mm -hmm. um, and uh, used um, idols uh, in their astrolatrous worship. So it came to also to refer to 
um, ancient Greeks, um, ancient Babylonians, um, uh, ancient Chinese, uh, and uh, significantly for Razi, Indians too. Um, and so this is how he can incorporate um, what he was uh, writing about India into into his his, his configuration of, of of the of the Sardian talismanic science. And that's a very long rambling account. So <laughs> very interesting, and it gives the context. Um, I have lots of questions, but I, I try to make them in in context also. Uh, one of the things that you said is that Khazi um, was trying to avoid the what he calls the manipulation of lower spirits because his goal was another one was the yeah. elevation of uh, the transcendence of human nature and the, to 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 make the forces of the planets work on on the terrestrial realm but how um, the way this is done and i'm thinking of our previous conversations in london there is this capacity of human will I think you call it the estimative quality. The estimate you're referring to the estimative faculty. Yeah. Faculty. Okay. Well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And is it the is that the the force that brings everything together? Well, the the human will will bring everything together because this only happens if someone wants it to happen and takes the proper steps to do it. But is there a specific quality that makes this happen? And, um, and then I will ask you what kinds of qualities does the person has to have to make this happen? So. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to have to give you a lot of context uh, for, for Weham. So the Weham or the estimative faculty was uh, an innovation of Avicennan psychology. Oh, I see. Um, it was an internal sense um, in the Avicenna construction, and and it plays a crucial role in his in his theory of prophethood. Um, so let me just give you the the broader picture of his theory of prophethood, and then we can zoom in on his internal sense faculty psychology to see how it how it um, um, relates to his theory of prophethood. So for Avicenna, there were three categories of prophethood. Um, there was a philosophical prophethood, um, uh, imaginational prophethood, and thaumaturgical prophethood. Philosophical prophethood is the prodigious and miraculous means whereby the um, human soul can seize on the middle terms of syllogisms and produce demonstrative proofs at a a prolific and rapid rate. So um, such a person possessed of this quality um, can philosophize and come up with demonstrations, apodictic demonstrations, dem uh, demonstrations or proofs that yield philosophical certainty. He can do this at a rapid and prolific rate. Mm -hmm. um, and he referred to it uh, by the Arabic word uh, as hads, um, this, this philosophical intuition. Um, and kind of like um, the way in which, say, in the modern imagination, we would, we would imagine uh, a uh, kind of uh, a mathematics kind of genius, um, kind of rapidly kind of um, constructing proofs. Um, so imaginational prophethood um, 
was very different for Avicenna. Imaginational prophethood was the means by which the human soul established noetic connection with the celestial souls and could receive from them what he calls a trace, an ether, in other passages in Arabic, a manner or an intention or, or meaning, um, which he receives um, from, from, uh, from a, a particular celestial sphere. And once received, the imagination sets about clothing clothing it in, in symbols familiar to the subject's uh, cultural experience uh, and his memories to produce uh, either a vision experience or a veridical dream. Now this veridical dream or vision contains knowledge data, uh, which is uh, which coming from the unseen uh, can pre either predict the future or yield you knowledge that cannot be gained through normal uh, discursive or cogitative process or things which are not amenable to the physical external senses. So knowledge of, for instance, buried treasure, uh, knowledge of, say, an impending war or an impending earthquake. Um, now, it exists, imaginational prophethood exists on a continuum. So for Avicenna, uh, part of um, his, his understanding of imaginational prophethood is the veridical dream. Now he says that um, bas basing his, his, his argument on, on the sheer weight of anecdotal evidence that so many people have veridical dreams, Avicenna said, well, this demands a scientific account, right? Uh, how do you account for this? Because, because so weighty is the anecdotal evidence that um, it, it really needs an explanation. Um, and so he relied on, on this idea of connecting with the, with the, with the celestial spheres um, uh, to explain how you get knowledge of, of, of future events. So why would the celestial spheres have knowledge of future events? Well, for Avicenna, the celestial um, spheres determine sublunary change mm -hmm. and they are also cognizant of the effects in the sublunary world of their motions therefore they have knowledge of future events and such knowledge can be disclosed to the human subject by way of veridical dreams and visions uh, so this exists on a, on a continuum from say the normal person who receives a veridical dream to the intensity of a prophet who receives um, waking visions um, it doesn't have to rely on, on sleep in order to be receptive to this kind of data. So that's the second um, category of uh, prophethood in the Avicenna uh, framework. Now, the third is thaumaturgy, the ability by uh, the ability of the human soul to directly, in the same way that the human soul can affect its own body, right? So if you're angry, you become hot, your blood pressure raises. Um, if you're in a state of fear or terror, your, your limbs uh, lose their strength, right? So the soul has a direct effect on the body. Reasoning from this, uh, a soul can also affect uh, bodies external to it, right? 
in a way that's a, analogous to a, to a magnet, right? And by extension, uh, you can have a, a soul so powerful that it can affect bodies at a distance. Now, this was Avicenna's account for Elain uh, uh, in Arabic, or the evil eye, or Ain Hara in, in Hebrew, right? Um, Literally, the bad eye. <laughs> right. Um, uh, the uh, unconscious um, effects of uh, an individual through envy, uh, the, the, the unconscious uh, effect on, 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 on something else, on someone's good fortune, for instance, right? Uh, but it was also his account for the ability of the, the seher or the sorcerer to affect extra mental reality. Uh, extra mental kind of bodily corporeal reality uh, but also it accounted for the ability of a prophet to perform miracles and the, and the ability of saints to perform their prodigies what distinguishes the sorcerer from a prophet or a saint is moral it's purely moral that's it that's the only difference um, now this ability so, so, so those are the three categories, philosophical, imaginational, thaumaturgical. What's um, uh, shared by imaginational and thaumaturgical, so the, the second and the third of those categories, is the estimative faculty, right? It's this mysterious internal sense faculty that can somehow uh, mediate between the celestial world and uh, the, 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 the corporeal existence of, of the human subject and uh, the corporeal world outside of the human subject. Um, so Razi takes this um, Avicenin internal sense faculty and makes it the, makes it the cornerstone of his accounts of uh, the talismanic science. So to put the, the Waham in, 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 into context, there are, there are five internal senses, right? Uh, the common sense, al-his al-mushtarak, which receives uh, percepts from the outside world, uh, uh, objects of perception, sound, taste, color, and what have you. And it integrates them into a unified experience of, of uh, extra mental reality. Now, um, memories of these experiences are then conveyed to a particular storage faculty, and it's a storage faculty for um, uh, uh, um, physical sense perception, right? But there's another kind of percept that you can receive from the outside world. Now, Avicenna called this the manner or the intention Right now, the intention exists uh, midway between uh, physical percepts and uh, philosophical universals, abstra uh, abstractions. Right? It's hard. It, it, it's so it's not essentially material, but nevertheless can inhere in the material object. And the famous example he gives for this is the um, hostility that the sheep perceives from a wolf or the predatory intent of a wolf, even though the sheep has never um, encountered a wolf before. So it sees the wolf's bared teeth, it sees 
its um, uh, its its tensed muscles, right? But it also perceives something that's distinct from these physical uh, experiences. It perceives a manner or intent. It's predatorial intent, and that's something that's distinct, right? Um, so it, it, it's epistemologically uh, discrete, and it receives that from well, by means of uh, another sense faculty. Now that sense faculty is called the wahm or the estimative faculty. So it perceives different something that's completely different from physical reality. It perceives these intentions, uh, and these intentions are then stored into a separate memory faculty uh, because. But, but by virtue of the fact that they are entirely different from, from physical percepts, they require a different uh, memory store. Now, um, the estimative faculty, so the, the estimative faculty can perceive these intentions from the outside world, but it also has another role. And that role is um, to set the imagination into, uh, into process. Now, as, as Avicenna describes it, and as, as Razi describes it in his Sidra Maktoum, his, his book on talismanic magic, the imagination is constantly working. It's constantly um, combining percepts, physical percepts, as well as intentional objects to create um, new constructs, right? Um, so you can construct, for instance, um, uh, a... Uh, uh, an image of, of a ghoul um, or, a, uh, or of a phoenix and invest that with a certain emotional or intentional quality, right? So such that you, you fear the ghoul. So you don't just see the ghoul in your imagination, but you've invested it with something that makes you frightened, right? So the imagination uh, is, constant, is constantly at work. And... Um, but it can't, but it works in a way that's blind. Uh, it can only work in a directed way by means of the wehem, or the estimative faculty, right? And so this estimative faculty acts as a kind of intelligence and it's an intelligence for the animal soul, right? So sheep have it, wolves have it, and humans have it. What distinguishes humans from animals is the fact that they have an immaterial rational soul or the intellect, right? Which doesn't have a physical substrate like all these other kind of uh, internal senses, which, are, which have a physical substrate in the brain. Um, now, um, uh, so Razi um, takes this estimative faculty and theorizes that it can be trained by using ritual and the sense percepts that arise from ritual, such as the burning of incense, um, the eating of certain ritual foods, wearing certain clothes, particular astrological timing, in order to um, uh, bring focus to the, to, to the estimative faculty, such that it can establish a uh, stabilized connection with a particular celestial sphere. Once that is established, it becomes receptive to these uh, intentions from that celestial sphere, uh, and it can draw down its powers into a talisman and thereby bring about the effect that's, uh, that, that's desired. Now, 
I, sh I should point out that there are two um, there are two um, kinds of talismanic process that are described by Razi, right? So one, you've got the you've got the talismanic idol, which we which we've just been discussing, which I've just told you about. But there's another uh, talismanic process which he describes, um, which uh, doesn't involve any idol at all whatsoever, right? Uh, it's a seven-stage uh, process whereby uh, the human uh, operator uh, dressing in a certain way, observing ritual diets, uh, fasting, and what have you, uh, successfully invokes the souls of the spirits of each of the uh, planetary spheres in the, in the Ptolemaic order. And they each, and, and, and uh, so the, the ritual for the moon lasts 13 months. Um, the ritual for Venus, for instance, or, or Mercury um, lasts, I can't remember how long. Uh, Mercury lasts for, say, three days and three nights. Um, I think uh, the sun is two years, if I remember correctly. Uh, details aside, um, it is a talismanic process insofar as um, it involves the, the, the drawing down of celestial influence into the earthly into the sublunary realm. But whilst um, what I previously described to you involved the drawing down of, of, of powers into an idol, here it involves drawing down of those powers into the human subject himself. Would you say that the human is the talisman in this case? So the human becomes precisely becomes self-talismanized, right? And he, and he does this process for each of the planets until he reaches uh, Saturn, uh, and then the process is is complete. Mm -hmm. uh, for this for this ritual, he's relying on a work attributed to Abomasha, whether or not he Abomasha wrote such a work, is is a uh, is another matter. Uh, that the, the the famous astrologer on which Charles Millet has um, has uh, has done so much um, scholarship on. Um, now, so the. By the end of this ritual, he just, uh, well, Abu Masha, or pseudo Abu Masha, um, says that uh, the planets humbly submit to the will of the operator. And as such, he becomes empowered to act throughout sublunary world according to his will. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and thereby essentially be, becomes ontologically transformed from uh, the human sphere to the celestial sphere. So he joins the ranks of the uh, spirits that move the spheres. And uh, um, as we discussed before, there are certain qualities and we don't need to go into the specifics, but uh, not every human being is naturally able to do this. There are right. certain astrological configurations. And if the person doesn't have these astrological configurations, um, they can be created by choosing the right moment, so to say. Mm -hmm. I think if I understood it correctly. Yeah. Well, um, he, so, so Razi says that there are certain qualifications if you're going to start this, this, uh, this long planetary ritual. Um, some are acquired and some are, have to be inborn. Um, now, you can acquire the, the, those um, conditions 
which can be acquired are knowledge of astrology. Um, you have to have an intimate knowledge of electional astrology in order to know uh, timing uh, of, of, of each stage of the, of, of, of the um, long planetary ritual. Um, but they also, they're also inborn uh, characteristics which rely on your natal charts. Right, so you have to be born at the right time. I, I have to, I have the passage here, um, actually. Um, so, as so, so Razi says, as as for those qualifications which are inborn, his ascendant must be appropriately well disposed for this affair. Um, such is the case when Mars is the lord of his ascendant in exaltation or in his sign. And then he says, if Mars is not the Lord of his ascendants, then Mars must be in a strong condition in relation to the ascendants, such that good can be hoped from him, especially if he's in Capricorn. If the ascendant is in such a position um, and the aspirant desires this matter, namely this engaging in this long, long planetary ritual, then he will uh, achieve this goal. Um, if he rules it. If his ascendant is not characterized by such a condition, let him seek out an ascendant whereby Mars is in Capricorn. For Mars's placement in Capricorn is the correct ele electional timing for this matter. And on its account, he will reach his intended goal. Mm. Now, one, one of the, another key condition uh, for him engaging in this process is to establish a stabilized connection with, uh, in Arabic, what is called atiba'atam. Uh, translated into English as the perfect nature. Uh, and it is roughly cognate with the Hellenic personal daimon, the, the uh, Neoplatonic personal daimon. In Razi's work, uh, now I, I, every time I say Razi, I'm not necessarily imputing Razi with. Um, giving full philosophical assent to what he's describing. It's a, it's a theoretical construct for him and it's a work in progress, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what he describes uh, as the personal daimon, attributing it to the Sabians specifically, to, to, to the Sabian practitioners, is that the personal daimon represents the ontological source of the human soul. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, it's the source of, a, of an entire group of human souls, each of which participate in, in origination from this, this, um, from this uh, celestial spirit. And they share certain qualities and certain affinities. And this is why for Razi, using um, kind of Islamic script, scripture to give corroboration to this theory, he said this is why um, certain people across cultures um, can meet and have immediate affinity with one another and it's because they 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 share their source in the same celestial spirits right um and there are many uh there are as many celestial spirits as there are discrete groups of human souls now each of these groups of, of human souls is essentially different from the other right um and so in this understanding this is why there are only certain human souls that can actually perform this kind of uh, arduous task, which involves um, extreme uh, spiritual austerities. Why? Because one has to discipline the soul in order to, uh, in order to attain 
the correct receptivity to the celestial spheres. And one also has to be one also has to be spiritually disciplined in order not to be distracted from other experiences which can uh, throw you off your course, right? Um, so uh, this um, personal diamond stroke perfect nature doctrine really is the core um, to um, the practice of this occult science. To to perform it successfully. One needs to have a stabilized condition within. I mean, and you can do that by firstly um, identifying which heavenly body that celestial spirit is associated with. Razi is a bit unclear as to whether or not he means, I mean, it could be a planet, it could be one of the uh, stars of the, of, the, of the fixed stars, right? Um, he, he's, 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 un, he's unclear on that, but there are astrological means by which one can identify it. He doesn't go into it in, in, in his Silomaktum. But he says, if you, if you can't avail yourself of that means, then one can engage in extreme spiritual austerity, right? Um, and deliberately invoke a, a dream vision or a vision of, of, mm. of, of, of this spirit, which is, um, more often than not experienced in a hypnagogic state, so between dream and, and wakefulness. Mm -hmm. um, fasting and veganism seem to be important for this, uh, for this process. I suppose uh, in, um, in astrological language, it would be what we call the Almutum, which is also uh, a derivative from an Arabic word, the, the winner. And it's not necessarily the strongest planet in the horoscope. Uh, it could be a, another planet, but it would be the planet that has more strength in five important points of the horoscope. Uh, the degree of the sun, degree of the moon, degree of the ascendant, degree of the, the lot of fortune, which derives from the three other points, and the degree of the syzygy, the lunation preceding birth. So this would be, I think, that's what he means, the Almutum would be the planet that rules over these five points, and it's probably the personal diamond, and it connects with all this. Mm -hmm. So uh, if the person knows uh, the horoscope, because not everybody would know their horoscope in yeah. back then, it would be possible to calculate uh, the, the, this um, Almutum or this uh, diamond or mm -hmm. this spirit, mm -hmm. this spirit guide, if you want. Um, so that, that would be one of the uh, um, roles of the horoscope to provide this, this information. Uh, the other thing that you said, and it's very, very interesting, well, everything is interesting, but um, is that um, the spirit has to, be, has to be focused on the goal. And from our previous conversations that we had, um, the rituals for, every, <coughs> for each planet are like designed like a test. Uh, for instance, Venus, you will have all sorts of physical pleasure and sexual pleasure. Therefore, you can just lose yourself in this level and never move to the other and so on. And in Mars, there will be war and violence and killing. So you can also be engulfed in all this violence and never move into the other one and so on. So um, at the same time, they are like <clears throat> tests for the person to... Uh, master the, that uh, whatever the planet represents 
and then can move to the other one. It's interesting that he's following, well, it's normal that he's following the Ptolemaic order because it's Essential. like the soul is coming Ascending. from below yeah. and moving upwards yeah and it's free mm -hmm. it doesn't say what happens when when the person uh, transcends all this mortal well he does say that um that the planets it's it's humbly hum, humbly humbly submits to, to your will so sounds good Sounds it good to sounds me. Very nice. <laughs> um, very pleasant. <coughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. And um, I should um, also mention, um, and this is this is where it comes becomes significant for the development of Razi's uh, counter Avicenna and uh, prophetology and soteriology. I should mention the following fact. So you will recall that I mentioned. Um, the three categories of prophethood, philosophical, imaginational, thaumaturgical. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, philosophical prophethood is um, the means by which you uh, can seize in the middle terms of syllogisms and, and uh, produce rapidly and prolifically philosophical demonstrations for all sorts of things. Um, now, this is done through a, uh, by, by establishing a, a connection with the active intellect which which uh, exists beyond space-time which is roughly coordinate with the with the lunar sphere now the active intellect is also in the avicennan system the ontological source of humanity uh in total right so for avicenna humanity is a single species with no essential difference and humanity all de derives from uh, the active intellect um, now, Razi takes the doctrine of the perfect nature, which he initially introduces into his works in, in, in his uh, work on the talismanic science. He adopts this doctrine as the origin of the human soul and incorporates it in his uh, final philosophical theological summa and matala bella alia, the um, the divine these the uh, sublime theses of the divine science he he takes the doctrine of the perfect nature and roots his prophetology in that right mm -hmm. so his objection to at the avicenna account for prophethood is this it essentially democratizes prophethood mm. theoretically anyone can since humanity is a unity in species uh, with no essential difference anyone really theoretically can develop philosophical prophethood, imaginational prophethood, or liturgical prophethood, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it democratizes the, the entire enterprise. In, in, in embracing the, the, the personal daimon, uh, Razi makes prophethood exclusive because prophets derive from the same celestial uh, origin Right, from which no other human group derives. Mm -hmm. So prophethood is it, right. So 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 prophethood is made exclusive ab initio, right? It is essentially different, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it also provides the ground for the soteriology of an intellectual elite by means of connecting with your own per, uh, uh, perfect nature, which is not the same perfect nature as 
a profit, right? By connecting with your own perfect nature, you can also engage uh, in the pursuit of imperfection and describes it interestingly, this process of um, ascending various levels of knowledge to the divine threshold. He describes it in, in striking planetary terms, like um, uh, going beyond the lunar sphere uh, towards uh, that of Venus and Mars, the fierce ginger of Mars, the, 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 the sweet celsibil, uh, the sweet wine of Jupiter, the camphor of Saturn, and what have you. Um, so whilst he's not condoning Venusian orgies and Martian cannibalism, right, <laughs> uh, which uh, uh, which feature in this in a Sabian uh, ritual, he's not. He's certainly not condoning that. He's nevertheless taking uh, the Sabian science, the Sabian science, seriously, mm. um, and looking at it to see what insights can it provide into the human condition uh, and man's position in the cosmos. Uh, what insights it can provide to a new soteriology, which can uh, provide a, compete, uh, a, a system that can um, provide a, 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 an answer that's um, rival to the Avicennan system. Mm -hmm. yeah, from what I understood, all this, uh, the sexual uh, pleasures and uh, violence and cannibalism and whatever, um, it, it is to be transcended. So people experience it in order to be able to go over it and get over it and transcend it. So yes, um, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I remember very vividly the description of all this, uh, of the spheres and it's, it's <laughs> very interesting. We have no time now, <laughs> but uh, all this is extremely, mm -hmm. extremely and, interesting. And do you do you present the, the translation of the work in your monography or just parts of it? Uh, just parts of it. I mean, the, a lot of the, the monograph has uh, uh, significant pass passages translated from his psychological discussions because I focus mainly on the uh, psychology. Well, I, I deal with the cosmology I deal equally with the cosmology and psychology, so so a lot of the passages translated there. But the actual ritual itself is translated in total and included as an as an appendix at the end of the work. Um, so and if anyone wants to find more about um, the Venusian and Martian stages, all the other ones are also interesting, not just this. <laughs> uh, when will the book be um, available for the public? It's available now. It's available. Oh, now. okay, um, good. Uh, on Amazon. <laughs> it's available on Amazon, but at a at a prohibitive price price for most. I, know, I, I, I fear, know. but that's yeah, that's, uh, that's, 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 that's academic publishing for you. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, really. Well, we'll, we'll put the link in the in the description in the description of the video. Yes. So that uh, whoever's interested might have access to, to your work. Um, and what are your future projects now? My future projects, well, um, currently I'm, I, I'm working on, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, reception of Avicenna's philosophy in the eastern half of the Islamic world in, in, in Munich under, under Peter Adamson. Um, I'm interested in, in bringing closer analysis to um, how um, these cognitive processes um, serve 
the process of science. Mm -hmm. So Razi, and this is an astrological podcast after all, um, Razi uh, proposes a uh, certain epistemology for the occult sciences, um, which are grounded on, 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 on uh, which rest on four, on four pillars. Um, one is um, empiricism. Uh, the second is tradition, by which he means the accumulated data of generations of, 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 of empirical observation. Um, anal or analogical reasoning, mm -hmm. um, so reasoning between, say, planetary bodies and what, what can we infer from, 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 from that, and also personal revelation. Right. So um, intuitions that, that you can receive that can serve to construct a certain hypothesis that can then be tested using empirical observation. Mm -hmm. So I want to explore uh, more about that. And what, what, what's, what's fascinating about uh, his, his exploration of the occult science is that it really is the, uh, the meeting point between what we understand, we moderns understand as science, um, and um, philosophy and imagination, mm -hmm. uh, poetry, rhetoric, um, art. Um, so it's understanding those those cognitive processes uh, in, in a much more nuanced way, mm -hmm. and to understand how um, science how uh, science can be conducted in such a framework. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> we will be looking think, forward yeah. for more. Uh, <laughs> works or books uh, mm -hmm. and uh, meanwhile we'll be continuing our conversation from mm -hmm. since we met since we've yeah, met it was, it was very interesting to to hear this um mixture of um cosmology and philosophy and how all of this packs together to Seamlessly. create uh, yeah to create a, an explanation a system uh, of approach to human existence if any condition yeah, so it's very interesting um thank you very much thank for, you very much for, michael for being it's here pleasure. to us and the best of luck to your research and to your future work thank you very much